What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. The Judiciary Committee was uh, discussing the Trump administration claiming executive privilege. But I think the biggest story of the day is this piece that Casey Michael published over at Think Progress and the New York Times, the Trump Organization's problem with possible money laundering. I mean, if we look at in the Republic of Congo, the ruling Sasuso uh, Negoso family, heavily invested in the Trump International Tower in New York and, and hotel, the daughter of the longtime ruler of the Congo, moved millions through an American law firm laundering money. Haiti. Uh, this was Trump's first money laundering deal. It was 1983 with Jean-Claude Baby Doc Duvalier. He stole $1.6 million from Haiti and put it into a property in Trump Tower, New York. Azerbaijan, the former transportation minister, Zaya Mamadov, put money into the Trump International Hotel and Tower in Baku, Azerbaijan. Money laundering. Kazakhstan, former Kazakhstan official and, uh, and oligarch Timur Kubaliev. Uh, money laundering. His businesses signed on to help finance the Trump Tower Batumi, a planned enclave along Georgia's Black Sea coastline, former Soviet Union. Kazakhstan, investing in the Trump t- Soho, uh, New York. The Philippines, the guy who's the special U- envoy, envoy for U.S. trade, hiding his money in the U.S. through Trump properties. Indonesia, Harry Tano, uh, the vice presidential candidate, same deal. Over and over and over again, we, we're seeing that Donald Trump, who, according to the New, the New York Times, is just plain old flat out broke. I mean, he lost over a billion dollars in 1985 money. I mean, this is this is almost two billion dollars in today's money and has, I think, been underwater ever since. And now we're starting to see why, you know, why I think Donald Trump has been so freaky about his tax returns or any of his financial information coming out, because the guy is a failed grifter and he has been living off cash flow and loans. I mean, you know, he borrowed $300 million in Deutsche Bank, not only refused to pay it back, but sued them. This was about 15, 20 years ago, maybe 18 years ago. And in the meantime, I think he's been living on that 300 million bucks. What does this mean for American democracy when you have a president who's a grifter and is vulnerable, not just to blackmail, but to being bought by foreign governments? Russia was offering him $250 million a year in cash flow for a billion dollar Trump Tower. But the second issue I wanted to bring up is the one that's really kind of leading the news right now in many regards, and that is the trade issue. China is right now manufacturing probably most of what we consume here in the United States. I mean, when was the last time you walked into a store and were able to buy something that wasn't made in China? How did that happen? Right? I spent the month of November 1986 in China. In Beijing, I was living in Beijing in a dorm with three other guys. They were all physicians. One of them now is now a psychiatrist up in New York City. The other two I've lost touch with. They were uh, Japanese. And, uh, you know, the four of us shared a dorm because we were studying acupuncture at the Beijing International Acupuncture Institute. And I walked all over Beijing and there were no stores. There was nothing retail. It was still a communist government. This was 1986. And... In how many years has it been? What, 30 years, 32 years? Am I doing my math right? 
China has gone from being this backwater little country where the tallest building in Beijing was the 10-story Marriott or Hyatt, whichever it was. It was a Hyatt. Maybe it was a Hilton, whatever. It was one of the chain hotels. That was the biggest building in Beijing. And it had, you know, the only Western restaurant was on the top floor. It was a steakhouse. And they flew the food in. I mean, that was it, right? It was like the roads, many of the streets were dirt. I was there in November. There were giant piles of coal, little briquettes, you know, the size of a small stone in front of, you know, about every maybe 100 yards along all the major streets because there were no cars going up and down the streets. Everybody rode bicycles. And when people needed coal and everybody heated just one room in their house, I was in some of those houses. They heated just one room in their house with a little coal stove and they go up front and grab a piece of coal and that was their heat. And China has gone from that to having the second largest economy in the world. Next year, it'll be the largest economy in the world and gone from supplying nothing to the United States to supplying everything to the United States. Our military would not function without Chinese goods. Our retail stores, you know, Walmart would have to shut down without Chinese goods. And the American worker knows this, right? Whether they're old enough to remember the days when we actually made things in the United States or whether they're a young millennial who has no recollection of that and China has always provided everything, they still know that in grandpa's generation, you know, 40, 50 years ago, we made everything in the United States. And Donald Trump is, this is going to be his strongest card in the 2020 election. Mark my words. He is going to be saying, I tried to bring jobs home to America, but 30, 40 years, well, 40 years of Reaganism, and he's going to call it Clintonism. You know, Bill Clinton signed NAFTA, Bill Clinton got China into the World Trade Organization, all this kind of stuff. 40 years of these policies by both Republicans and Democrats have wiped out American manufacturing and thus wiped out American independence to the point that, I mean, you know, 5G is the hot new thing. It's going to change the world. And literally, in a, you know, pretty soon you're going to see pretty much all the data in the world going through 5G really, really fast. And there's literally not a single company left in America that can make 5G stuff. And so who's making it? Huawei, which is a Chinese company affiliated with the Chinese military that the Trump administration and, frankly, the Obama administration before them, they're all freaking out saying, you know, they're putting back doors in their stuff. They're monitoring everything that's going on. They're using this for social control in China. It's not a democracy, have you noticed? And they could use it for social control here in the United States. But we literally don't have a company in the United States capable of making this stuff. This is a serious problem. And Sherrod Brown and a number of, you know, Bernie Sanders on this program for over a decade talking about, you know, we need a protectionist trade policy, including tariffs. Sherrod Brown saying we need a protectionist trade policy, including tariffs. It was a position that was universally hated by Republicans. And about half of Democrats, the corporate Democrats, said, no, 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 that's crazy. You don't want tariffs. You know, we need an interconnected world. It's a wonderful thing. But about half the Democratic Party has consistently been arguing for tariffs and for a restrictionist and protectionist trade policy. And if Democrats don't start listening to Sherrod Brown on this issue and similar issues, and don't start taking this really seriously, we're going to get creamed in the 2020 election. We have to openly and explicitly repudiate these trade policies that brought us NAFTA and CAFTA and the World Trade Organization and all this stuff, because it's devastating our country. And I'm telling you, you know, I am not, I am not exaggerating. All this stuff that Trump is doing, much of it is theater, much of it is not. And he's going to go to the mattresses to fight China, and he's going to hurt the Dow Jones slightly for a while to take on China to show what a tough guy he is. And blue-collar workers all across America are going to say, yeah, that's my guy. Democrats, wake the hell up! This is the Tom Hartman Program. So what are your thoughts on all this? Do you think I'm crazy about trade? Julio Rivera is on the line with us. 
Our old buddy Julio is the editorial director of Reactionary Times, a columnist with Newsmax, the American Thinker, and townhall.com. Reactionarytimes.com is the website. You can tweet him at, oh yeah, it's Julio. Hey, Julio, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Tom. So now that we know that our president is not only the grifter that we believed him to be, but clearly has been laundering money for people since the 80s in order to finance the fact that the 400 plus million dollars, which would be over a billion dollars in today's money, that he used illegal tax schemes to basically steal from the American government out of his father's estate has been just pissing this money away and ended up bankrupt, what, five times? How do conservatives deal with this? The fact that this guy has been lying to you all along about his net worth, about his wealth, about his business acumen. What does it mean to you guys? Listen, you know what it means to me? I'll, I'll sum it up to you in two words. Who cares? I mean, at the end well, of the I day, care. he's doing his job. Wait a minute. Let me finish, Tom. He's doing his job, a, 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 an excellent job as president. He's been operating in the best interests of America. Really? Please name so you, one so piece of legislation that Donald Trump has signed that's helped America. Mm-hmm. Please name one piece of legislation that Donald Trump has signed that, in the majority, helped people who were not in the top 1%. Trump, the tax reform. I mean, the tax reform was 87% great. of those benefits and went I to the top 1%. I actually put a story on ReactionaryTimes.com on this. The very journalists that are hitting him consistently and saying that he's so bad for America and this and that, the average salary for a, a journalist in this country is about $45,000. And I, I did the, the comparison as far as how much they were paying under the previous tax rules versus the Trump tax rules, and they saved about 20% on their tax bill. So and this is your only argument, Julio, is that, that they have to watch every penny. Is that Donald so Trump is wonderful because of the tax cut? Genuous. Reporters are being very disingenuous. They all got a raise last year because of Uncle Trump, so I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Okay. So that's it, right? That's the no, only thing he's not, done. not that. You look at uh, you know renegotiating uh, and attempting to renegotiate a lot of different you know trade deals that we have going on. Obviously, with you know the, right. the with NAFTA, thing. he's saying no, we don't want environmental protections. No, we don't want labor protections. With his deal with China, actually, the whole trade thing is an area where. I think he's doing it incompetently, but I agree with the spirit of it. But back to my original question, Julio, mm-hmm. I don't see this guy. You didn't have a question. It wasn't a question. It was just you're bashing him. You want me to just start pulling out things that he's done that's positive for America. I can sit here for an hour and tell you all the positive things that he's done for America. When the guy who is the president, when the guy who's got the bully pulpit, when the guy who becomes the example for America is a racist, and now we're seeing racist incidents exploding, anti-Semitic incidents exploding, violence against people of color, Muslims and Jews exploding, he's setting that example. When he's a grifter, he's setting that example. Now you got the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau coming out and saying these policies are throwing everybody into disaster. He's saying, oh, well, you know, instead of allowing debt collectors to harass you once a week, We're going to let them harass you on an unlimited basis. This is the new rule that McMulvaney is coming out with. We have a grifter in chief. We got a bunch of grifters in his cabinet. Wilbur Ross at the top of the list, the guy that literally was called a grifter by Forbes magazine. Listen, listen, the the, the fair debt, first off, let me just address the one, because you're throwing 10 things out, out at me. The Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, commonly known as the FDCPA, allows for daily contact between debt collectors and debtors, but they but you have to do it under a certain way. You can't you can't continually contact person people. You once you've talked to somebody, you can't talk to them again for a week. One phone number once a day. There's rules. I mean, I come from that industry, so right. I can you may you. try to call somebody once a day, but if you reach them, you have to wait a week before you do it again. No, you don't. No, yes, that, you do. That's, that's not true. That's not the FDCPA. That's, no, that's you're, the you're law right now. That's not what the FDCPA says. I know the FDCPA because I was a compliance officer for a collection agency. So, no, you're wrong. Well, that's what the New York Times is saying this morning. But anyhow, my well, point is, will you, will you acknowledge that Mick Mulvaney, on behalf of Donald Trump and Mike Pence, are trying to make it easier for debt collection people to harass people who have debts? It's not about harassment. Listen, I was, I was unlimited email, it's unlimited text messages. People. That's not it's harassment. About getting the money that you're owed from people who owe you. Unlimited that, email, unlimited text messages. Somebody's head and said, you know what? You got to take this high interest credit card or loan. Nobody okay. did that. These people will. 
willingly signed into these contracts. And Julio, you know, guess what? When, when, the time's, when it's time to pay your bill, you got to pay your bill. Okay, yeah. Uh, Julio, let's get back to the original question. and Because okay, I, yeah. I, I really which, think this is a one? big deal. Which original question? The original question that we have now learned that the guy in the White House is a grifter. That he lied He's to like, us about listen, his net worth. You, you, you just want to, this is, this is slander. Uh, this is, this is not slander. The guy is, you know, he, the, the he, he pled guilty to fraud, Julio. Uh, he paid a $25 million fine for the fraudulent Trump University. He's a grifter. He's a con man. How can the Republican Party continue to defend a guy who is a confessed con man? Listen, the fact of the matter is, the only thing that we can really judge him on as voters and we have a big election coming up next year, which apparently all these mainstream media sources want to get ahead of it and try to, like, you know, bash this guy in advance of the election. The fact of the matter is he's doing a great job as president. He's I, I, I listen, I'm not in love with everything that he's ever done. But, you know, that's the essence of capitalism. There's, you know, there's some some pitfalls and some negatives. They, they come with capitalism. But I'd rather have that than have a socialist system any day of the week. So let me get this straight. Mm. The new standard for president of the United States in the Republican Party is we don't care if he assaults women. We don't care if he's an anti-Semite. We don't care if he's a racist. First off, wait a minute. Stop. What what woman has he assaulted? Summer Zervos. I'm going to pick this apart. Summer Zervos. uh, Summer Zervos. A judge just said her case can go forward. She's actually moving forward right now, just just like uh, was happening. You have evidence of this because you're saying it. A and court has evidence of it, and the court agreed with her. A court has evidence of it, and the court agreed with her. Trump is an admitted sexual assaulter. He bragged about it, but, but nonetheless, <laughs> these are the new criteria. And when a Democrat is running for president, you're never going to again attack a Democrat for anything that they might have done in the past. Is that what you're saying? This, these are the new standards? No, no, that's not what I'm Presidents saying. Presidents are just like born like, day, like listen, Minerva from that. Zeus's we, head. All these arguments were already fought in 2016. He won. Get over it, Tom. And he's in 2016, we didn't know that he was broke. He, he wasn't broke. How do you know? Off, you don't even understand the way that this stuff works. He was reinvesting he's living off his, his cash own flow. money in his own businesses, playing the long game, buying out his partners in many cases because of his no. strong self-belief. This is not what these taxes himself. are showing. And now that strong self-belief is the reason why he's worth $3 billion. So you're going to try to call a guy that's worth $3 billion broke? I mean, what did, let me ask you, you have question. no evidence he's worth anything, Julio. You have none. I, no, yes. Julio, if these things are properties. lies, there's a I real simple solution. Properties last night at the if all hotel, these charges that Donald Trump is actually broke are actually lies, there's a real simple solution. Release your tax returns. Why won't he do it? What's he hiding? Well, what's the obsession with the tax? Like, is that going to change? I want to know if my president president is vulnerable to being blackmailed by some guy from Azerbaijan or from the Philippines or from Russia. That's what I want to know. Has he been bought off by basically this international mafia? They get hurt because and you don't care. The the mainstream media is going to paint these as Trump companies and people are going to boycott these companies. So there's a reason why there's redactions in the Mueller report. There's a reason why Donald Trump has the right to not have to release those tax returns. And if he wants to invoke executive privilege on something like that it's fine if you can prove that he broke the law and you can subpoena if bill clinton refused to release his tax returns what would you have said what was that if bill clinton had refused oh never mind we're we're out of time julio (laughs) it's always great talking with you my friend reactionarytimes.com oh yeah it's julio is the twitter handle julio rivera hang on just a second this is the tom hartman program julio thank you for dropping by hey god bless tom always love being on Hey, my back is feeling so much better today. I, I, I just, you know, the, the, I sleep so well when I take CBD oil. And my favorite CBD oil, and, and Louise and I have been using this exclusively now for about a month, is from New Leaf Naturals. NULeafNaturals.com is the website. CBD oil is non-intoxicating. It doesn't make you high. It does have all these health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. It's non-toxic but it has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand I trust the most, New Leaf Naturals, nuleafnaturals.com, the highest quality CBD oil in the market, 
100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's N-U-Leafnaturals.com, to save 30% off and receive free shipping in the U.S., use the code TOM, T-H-O-M. Go to N-U-Leafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid well wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com, use the code TOM. And welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you. And by the way, we have a, uh, uh, a, an underwriter for our program. It's called New Leaf Naturals, N-U-LeafNaturals.com. And uh, they sell CBD oil, which is legal in all states. And uh, we're going to give away a bottle to the first caller uh, who calls 503-954-2715 and mentions that they would like that bottle of CBD oil. Tom Hartman here with you, and what do we do here with all this? How do we heal from the damage these guys are doing to our republic? What is Trump actually hiding? Is it, as David K. Johnson says, that he was making money on international cocaine trafficking? Really? I mean, I hadn't even imagined that. I just figured he's been broke since the 90s and he's living high on borrowed money from big banks. I don't know. We'll see. Rick in Placentia, California. Hey, Rick, what's up? Oh, hey, Tom. I caught some guy saying he didn't think that, you know, Trump needed to report his tax returns. And uh, as it were, I do taxes, and I don't want to tell you who exactly for, but I do international tax for U.S. citizens living abroad. And I, I can think of two very good reasons why he wouldn't want anybody to see those tax returns. Okay. First, it's going to show exactly where all of his debt is outstanding and how much he actually has at his solvent, which probably is not very much if he's got all this money out in loans to Deutsche Bank and Capital One and whatnot. Um, That being said, you know, him being all about wealth, it would destroy him if everybody found out that really he's not a billionaire and most of his money is all tied up and he has not really got all that much cash to begin with. I don't think Um, he's even a millionaire. I think he's just, I think he's living on borrowed money. I think he's in. You know, he's totally in debt. But the other part of that as well is that it also will show exactly who he's beholden to and has leverage on him. Now, would a tax uh, return actually show that? It uh, it will show who his debt is outstanding to, like, say, if it's Deutsche Bank or something like that. But the thing about Deutsche Bank as well, if I'm not mistaken, is weren't they under investigation by Interpol or somebody for doing business with Russian oligarchs. and They pled guilty to money laundering that involved, I'm not sure if it was specifically Russian, it was definitely former Soviet Union oligarchs, and they paid a multi, multi-million dollar, I thought it was a $500 million, some massive fine for it, uh, you know, that was uh, a couple yeah. of years back. And the other part about that is that if that is indeed the case, then it really doesn't take much dot connecting to assume that he may have been, you know, it may have been because of that that he got the loans to begin with and not just that he is isn't he suing deutsche bank and capital one to keep his financial record from coming public i mean yes he is that, that, that should tell that should tell people something right there that there is something in it that he does not want anybody to see that could really <laughs> you know make it look like he's not doing yeah. um like he's doing business with people he shouldn't have been and he is the u.s president now and that would look really really bad yeah <laughs> no, the guy's a hustler he's a scam artist a grifter a con man it's like the music man except he's not charming like harold hill was rick thanks a lot for the call i mean seriously it is like the music man he comes to town and he says you know you got a problem with pool well we got him and trump is like you got a problem with mexicans on the border yeah right you're listening to the tom hartman program it's like Look over there at those Mexicans while I pick your pocket. That's what's going on. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're reading from the Mueller Report. This is part one, page 12. It's the version redacted by Bill Barr. Two district courts confirmed the breadth of the special counsel's authority to investigate Russia election interference and links and or coordination with the Trump campaign. In the course of conducting that investigation, the office periodically identified evidence of potential criminal activity that was outside the scope of the special counsel's authority established by the acting attorney general. 
After consultation with the Office of the Deputy Attorney General, the office referred that evidence to appropriate law enforcement authorities, principally other components of the Department of Justice, and to the FBI. To carry out the investigation and prosecution of the matters assigned to him, the special counsel assembled a team that at its high point included 19 attorneys, five of whom joined the office in private practice, and 14 on detail or assigned from other Department of Justice components. These attorneys were assisted by a filter team of department lawyers and FBI personnel who screened materials obtained via court process for privileged information before turning those materials over to investigators. A support staff of three paralegals on detail from the department's antitrust division and an administrative staff of nine responsible for budget, finance, purchasing, human resources, records, facilities, securities, information technology, and administrative support. The special counsel attorneys and support staff were co-located with and worked alongside approximately 40 FBI agents, intelligence analysts, forensic accountants, a paralegal, and professional staff assigned by the FBI to assist the special counsel's investigation. Those assigned FBI employees remained under FBI supervision at all times. The matters on which they assisted were supervised by the special counsel. During its investigation, the office issued more than 2,800 subpoenas under the auspices of a grand jury sitting in the District of Columbia, executed nearly 500 search and seizure warrants, obtained more than 230 orders for communicating records, obtained almost 50 orders authorizing the use of pen registers, made 13 requests to foreign governments pursuant to mutual legal assistance treaties, and interviewed approximately 500 witnesses, including almost 80 before the grand jury. From its inception, the office recognized that its investigation could identify foreign intelligence and counterintelligence information relevant to the FBI's broader national security mission. FBI personnel who assisted the office established procedures to identify and convey such information to the FBI. The FBI's counterintelligence division met with the office regularly for that purpose for most of the office's tenure. For more than the past year, the FBI also embedded personnel at the office who did not work at the special counsel's investigation, but whose purpose was to review the results of the investigation and to send in writing summaries of foreign intelligence and counterintelligence information to FBI headquarters and FBI field offices. Those communications and other correspondence between the office and the FBI contain information derived from the investigation, none of which is contained in this volume. This volume is a summary. It contains, in the office's judgment, that information necessary to account for the special counsel's prosecution and declination decisions and to describe the investigation's main factual results. Two, Russian Active Measures Social Media Campaign. The first form of Russian election influence came principally from the Internet Research Agency, LLC, IRA, a Russian organization funded by Yevgeny Viktorovich Prigozhin and companies he controlled, including Concord Management and Consulting LLC and Concord Catering, collectively Concord. The IRA conducted social media operations targeted at large U.S. audiences with the goal of sowing discord in the U.S. political system. These operations constituted active measures, a term that typically refers to operations conducted by Russian security services aimed at influencing the course of international affairs. The IRA and its employees began operations targeting the United States as early as 2014. Using fictitious U.S. personas, IRA employees operated social media accounts and group pages designed to attract U.S. audiences. These groups and accounts, which addressed divisive U.S. policy and social issues, falsely claimed to be controlled by U.S. activists. Over time, these social media accounts became a means to reach large U.S. audiences. IRA employees traveled to the United States in mid-2014 on an intelligence gathering mission to obtain information and photographs for use in their social media posts. IRA employees posted derogatory information about a number of candidates in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. By early to mid-2016, IRA operations included supporting the Trump campaign and disparaging candidate Hillary Clinton. The IRA made various expenditures to carry out those activities, including buying political advertisements on social media in the names of U.S. persons and entities. Some IRA employees posing as U.S. persons and without revealing their Russian association communicated electronically with individuals associated with the Trump campaign and with other political activists to seek to coordinate political activities, including the staging of political rallies. 
The investigation did not identify evidence that any U.S. persons knowingly or intentionally coordinated with the IRA's interference operation. By the end of the 2016 election, the IRA had the ability to reach millions of U.S. persons through their social media accounts. It's the Mueller Report. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's one o w n g o l d one triple eight own gold so let's check in with Owen Ratner with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsfortheOldGoat.com and Ellen's new book, Loving What You Do. Ellen, what's going on in the world today? Wow. Well, first of all, Iran looks like it may pull partially out of its agreement. Now, the agreement was with the United States and five other countries. The agreement says that they're going to sell heavy water and fuel that they make, but now they're saying they're going to keep it, which means they're probably going to make some kind of weapon. Right. Heavy water uh, so, is used for the detonators. They get, uh, what is it, deuterium or something like that, out of, some element out of it. And right, exactly. this heavy isotope of hydrogen, the waste, of course, they can refine. They run it through the centrifuges and extract the still explosive stuff. Right. And so they say they're going to pull out of the agreement. Now, of course, you have somebody who believes, basically, that we ought to go to war with Iran, John Bolton. But, you know, yeah. he's not going to hopefully succeed. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully. I mean, I, you know, you will recall, Ellen, and this is the thing that just absolutely haunts me, is Trump's repeated tweets. This is November 29, 2011. Donald Trump tweeted, in order to get elected, Barack Obama would start a war with Iran. On October 9, 2012, now that Obama's poll numbers are in a tailspin, watch for him to launch a strike on Iran. He is desperate. Uh, September 16, 2013, Donald Trump tweeted, I predict that President Obama will at some point attack Iran in order to save his face his presidency. And then November 10, 2013, remember that I predicted long ago that President Obama will attack Iran because of his inability to negotiate properly, not skilled. Trump thinks that attacking Iran is the way that presidents get themselves reelected. That's what worries me, Ellen. That worries me, too, because I think it's really stupid. But, hey. Yeah, but he believes it. I know. He believes it. And, right. he's, and he's the guy sitting in the White House. Now, Uber and Lyft, in not only in the United States, but in the U.K., South America, Australia, have actually had their drivers do a work action today. They want livable incomes, job security. Uh, that is what they want. And this is ahead of the Wall Street filing for Uber, which is probably going to happen tomorrow. This is why Uber is working as hard as they can to get driverless cars uh, perfected so that they don't have to deal with these labor problems. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, I won't take Uber, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lyft is an alternative. Right. Now, the president went to Florida today. He is looking at Hurricane Michael, and then he's going to have a rally in the panhandle. Now, what's really interesting is that the governor last week came and said to the president, hey, you better not come to Florida empty-handed. These people from Hurricane Michael are still suffering. So the president is going to be taking a look at the remnants of Hurricane Michael, which occurred last October. Is that the hurricane that took out Puerto Rico, too? No, that was a different hurricane, uh, I think. Okay. Like Maria yeah. or something, yeah. Okay. There was, by the way, another Hurricane Michael earlier on, I think in 2011. Yeah, yeah, they reset the names Remember, they used year. to name hurricanes all after women, and then they changed it. Yep, yep. Now, it looks like they are going to hold Attorney General Barr in contempt. 
Now, what's really interesting is the last attorney general that was held in contempt was Eric Holder for Fast and Furious. They said that it's not because he won't testify. It's because he won't make the report unredacted. Now, I just got to tell you that they did do some redactions, but not uh, all of them, and they made the report available in Congress. And it is true that no Democrats went to see it. Now, I have some problems with that. I think they should have at least shown their face. Yeah. But it looks like they are going to issue a contempt for Attorney General Barr. Now, what's so fascinating about that is let's assume they issued the contempt filing for him. Well, the point is, is that the person that it gets sent to, or the place it gets sent to, is the Justice Department of which Barr is head of. Right, right, I know. And with Eric Holder, it didn't take six years for that process to end, for the litigation that process to end? It took a long time, and that's the problem now, too, because if it goes to the courts, it's going to take a long time. Trump's just trying to run out the clock. Well, right. And President Trump could get reelected. Right. That's the whole point. He's trying to push all this stuff post 2020, just like Nixon did, by the way. You know, you'll recall the Watergate break in. The news of that happened before the election of 72. Right. And he was like, oh, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. I remember exactly where I was when I heard he won the 72 election. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, Uh, but I probably should. (laughs) It was a turning point in American history. It certainly was. Okay. So now Trump had his leaked tax returns sent to the New York Times. Now, these were not the recent ones. It was nine years ending in 1984. But it shows huge losses. And then Trump today said, you always want to show losses. It was a sport. Hello? I mean, I can't even believe he's saying that. You know, I just uh, I just saw this. David K. Johnston is saying that that fifty three million dollar interest payment that Donald Trump got was for doing business with international cocaine trafficker Joseph Wechselbaum, that he was in cocaine trafficking. You can't even mess this stuff up. Yeah, it's amazing. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Great talking with you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you, Richard in Bellflower, California. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I just wanted to remind your listeners about Joe Biden, or some people want to call him Uncle Joe, when he was on the side of the credit card company. When he was, didn't he help sponsor the bill so college students could not default? He helped write the bill. Yeah. And then, if that's not bad enough, he actually helped get Clarence Thomas on the bench at yeah. the Supreme yeah. Court. Yeah, you know, I get all that, Richard, and I think that all of that is common knowledge. And I'm, I really don't want to do the circular firing squad thing. Um, you know, yeah, we these are this is the history that some of these folks have, and Joe Biden's going to have to deal with that history. Uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. It's up to the Democratic primary voters, though. Rudy in Riverdale, Georgia. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, how you feel? Good. All right. Hey, uh, you know, uh, as crazy as this may sound, um, and if we can get through this, I think this country needed this, this what you call a, a, a small animal, because it's going to allow us to actually go back and correct the Constitution. Yeah, Rudy, and, if we live uh, through this, I agree with you. And the only thing that may save us is that Donald Trump is a very unattractive, obnoxious person, meaning by him looking the way he is and and acting that way, people will be turned off. So I'm glad that he's not like a charming Tom Brady, someone that can actually (laughs) someone that's actually charming and good looking and knows how to actually speak a complete sentence. So that being said, He's going to be his own downfall, but uh, in the meantime, we need to actually go back, look at our wrongs in the Constitution, and try to correct them. Yeah, am I crazy for saying that? No, no, you're you're singing my song, Rudy, and I really need to write an op-ed about this. I think that the Trump presidency has exposed weaknesses in our current constitutional form of government—weaknesses that we're not, 
you know, they've probably been there from the founding. The fact that John Adams back in 1798 could get the Alien and Sedition Acts passed by one vote in the House and, and then imprison uh, 18 newspaper publishers in the next two weeks should have been a warning to all of us. But basically, every president since then has been on good behavior, as it were. And, and just trusting to the good behavior of a president and assuming that things like shame would motivate them or the threat of shame, the danger of shame, would motivate them to good behavior, obviously is not enough when you have a shameless, sociopathic narcissist right. in the White House. And I'm just worried that the next shameless, narcissistic sociopath is actually going to be a lot smarter than Donald Trump, because it's becoming really obvious to me that Donald Trump has, if anything, a mediocre to average intelligence. Exactly. Exactly. So just think of someone that was charming enough to weaponize this situation and do this smart things and know when to shut up and know when not to shut up. And I yep. mean, you know, this is what I'm afraid of is someone that knows how to get in there and actually circumvent other situations. I mean, it can get yep. ugly then. So we no, need to I, go back and make repairs. I completely agree. And, and I guarantee you that, you know, people like Robert Mercer, the billionaire who funded uh, Donald Trump and Shelley Adelson, the billionaire, another billionaire who funded Donald Trump. And some of the others, you know, are looking at this going, OK, so this is right. how you get around. You know, if we want our companies to pollute and kill people and it doesn't matter, this is how we get around constitutional government. And that scares the crap out of me. Rudy, thanks a lot yep. for the call. Glenn in Olivet, Michigan. Hey, Glenn, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. <laughs> you know, it's been an interesting day watching your show and uh, talking about things that Trump's hiding from. Yeah, what do you um, think he's hiding first, with his taxes? First, I think what he's hiding from is all of his campaign promises. I mean, he makes all kinds of promises that he was going to show his taxes, he was going to be a self-made millionaire. So you think this is just circus to distract us? I think that's what it is. He was going to drain the swamp. He was going to defeat ISIS within 30 days. He was going to repeal and replace Obamacare within 100 days with a better, cheaper policy that would be good for everybody. Right. He was going to bring the jobs I mean, home from China in the first year. Yeah. I mean, there were so many things. And I think, I think his tweets are just a diversion to keep us from realizing that he's alive. Yeah, it may well be true, Glenn. I mean, that that's a very Occam's razor, you know, simplest uh, explanation. And, he, and certainly having learned how to do reality television from, you know, 10, 11, 12 years, whatever it was on NBC, uh, play, playing a successful businessman at the same time that he was losing money hand over fist and on the edge of bankruptcy, taught him how to build suspense, how to grab the narrative, how to control the message. You know, it was the best learning lesson of his life. It turned him from a low-level hustler and con man in the New York real estate market, affiliated with the mafia, it turned him from that into a high-level grifter who actually ended up in the White House. Spot on. Glenn, thank you. August in Sherman, Texas. Hey, August, what's on your mind today? Hello, hello. Money laundering is on my mind. You think that's what he's hiding? Well, we spoke about a year ago on more current taxes that he wouldn't release. Right. And these 85 to 94 taxes, David K. Johnson mentioned that some of the losses that he showed that he said was as sport because it was investment. He said he didn't have the properties to have that much investment to lose. He, did, That's right. he didn't have that money to lose. How could he declare that as a loss, which kind of, you know, obviously smells bad, seems Money well, I think he, he lost it. You know, he bought this airline from from Eastern for I think it was over 150 million dollars, and and uh, he, you know ran it down to where it was worth 40 million, and then declared bankruptcy on it or shut it down. You know, he took a huge loss on that. He had all these various products. I mean, he had Trump ties and Trump vodka and Trump this and Trump that. Most of those went down, and you know, out of business. I think the reason why Ivanka has spun off her own companies and her own brand is that she knows that she's got to get something going and, and get it profitable because daddy's going down, he's got nothing, and when he dies, she's not going to inherit anything but debt. There's, yeah, there is nothing in that will that's any good. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely uh, right. Well, you need to get a trademark on the Trump's No Mussolini slogan that you just mentioned earlier when you are on the phone with Paul S. Ryan. Yeah. Because I'm afraid this is indeed the new Republican playbook. He's a bit 
too dim to be an autocrat, but he's definitely shown, you know, paved the road, shown this is how it's, it's done yep. right here. Yeah, he's I'm too stupid to do this. Yeah, I, I agree. He is showing the next guy how to do it. That is, I think, the greatest danger to our republic. August, thanks for the call. Colleen in Manorville, New York. Hey, Colleen, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Tom. Always good to speak to you. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, with all of the callers that have called in, and the gentleman, Rudy, who just spoke earlier, I so agree with him on many levels. But one of the things that I wondered is, with all of these calls for his tax returns, he asked for the President of the United States, President Obama, to show his birth certificate. And he was doing this for years. Sure. They kept saying he wasn't a legitimate president because he didn't show his birth certificate. Not that any other person who had run for or been president had ever had to do that. Right. And you have a president, precedent of these people showing their tax returns, and yet Donald Trump doesn't want to do that. And I know that a lot of this is circus for him. You know, it's a lot of... Uh, distraction and you know if he just keeps talking and he keeps you engaged over here you're not looking over there and but what my question is we're not my question but my opinion is you know why is it that he's not being asked to produce legally produce and there was no legal precedent for obama for president obama to produce his birth certificate right it just shocked me right no, it was just a racist scam. I mean, this was Donald Trump saying he's the other, right? He's not like us. And, you know, of course, he was talking to white people. And, and you know, I think all the white racists in America knew exactly what Donald Trump was saying. But you're absolutely right, Colleen. If, he, if, if Trump can call for Obama's birth certificate, for which there's not even a precedent, then, you know, every and every president since Richard Nixon has, every presidential candidate, in fact, since Richard Nixon has put forward their taxes, certainly he should be revealing his taxes. Colleen, well said. Thank you. Steve in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? I was listening earlier, and if I understand the magnitude of debt that Donald Trump is in, the bright side is, well, not necessarily the bright side, but just another way of looking at it is we elected our first slave to the Oval Office, and oh. he's so wholly owned. As in by, debt slave? Uh, right, right. Yeah. I read this book by Andrew Lick Lickman, The Case for Impeachment. Yeah, yeah, we had him on the show. I remember. And one of the points he emphasized was that what moved Congress was the um, outpouring of support, I mean, the outpouring from, from the people. So the cards, I mean, the letters and, and the uh, phone calls that they made, they, I know people are just in the habit of just emailing or using Twitter and everything, but that's so easily dismissed. I just had this dream that if, if we could put a Mother's Day card in the mail on Friday to Nancy Pelosi and with a, a nice message with a P.S simply to impeach Donald Trump. If we can get Sweet like idea, a, couple Steve. Million, a couple million cards that would just consume the, the Postal Service yeah. and land in Washington, D.C. on the same day or in the, around the same time, that would be something that she could use at the appropriate time to make the decision that she needs to make to impeach. That's a great idea. I'm all for impeachment. Okay, me too. Steve, thank you. That's, yeah. I haven't, you know, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Thanks so much for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. The place where despair is not an option. Oliver in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Hey, Oliver, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I had a wild thought. What if there's some sort of evidence of a double cross with a, a deal and is some of the nefarious people that he's worked with in the past, and he's really worried about them finding out? So you're thinking that maybe at some point uh, Trump ripped off or stole from or deceived or defrauded some oligarch who comes from a country where when you get on the wrong side of them, they send people out with bone saws? <laughs> yeah, or maybe, you know, another European country of some sort. Or just uh, some, you know, garden variety mobster in New York City that he was, you know, I mean, he, there's there's stories out there that he built Trump Tower with concrete rather than steel because he was in deep with the biggest concrete supplier of the city who was a mobster. 
if I'm remembering the details of that right, and I'm probably not, but it was some variation on that. I think it was David K. Johnston was writing about that. <laughs> yeah, like Garden State variety. Yeah. I think they should go ahead and impeach him, even if they can't win. We could get an idea just who wants to you know, throw their hat in with them and come 2020, vote those people out right along with him. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Oliver. Thank you for the call. Bob in Lakewood, New York. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks. I wanted to um, continue with you were talking about whether the House had the sergeant of arms had the authority to arrest. Um, I happen to locate an article, a brief um, paragraph under in Salon, and they record the article from the Atlantic. And there's a gentleman by the name of Russell Berman. And he says, should they choose, members of Congress can arrest Barr for failing to comply with a con congressional subpoena. As Berman notes, the courts have granted both the House and the Senate authority to enforce their orders by imprisoning those who violate them. Right. Literally. And order the sergeant of arms to take violators into custody. In 1821, the Supreme Court ruled that Congress has the inherent authority to arrest witnesses for failing to comply with law. No, I'm, I'm with you, and Congress reaffirmed that in 1935, but I think the last time Congress actually had anybody arrested was probably during the founding generation. It was probably pre-Civil War. Right. I mean, they don't even have a, a right. holding cell there anymore. And by the way, back in the 1820s, there was no such thing as the Secret Service you know, that was protecting right. the, the president and the rest of the executive branch. I don't think the Capitol Police or the, or the uh, sergeant at arms could, could even get into Bill Barr's office, much less haul him off in handcuffs. Well, Although it would be great to theater to see them try. Yeah, they ought to give him a shot because this has really got to stop somewhere. Somebody has to do something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you, Tom. Thank you, Bob. Uh, you know, this is something that's really interesting. I mean, you've got Elijah Cummings now talking about inherent contempt. Elijah Cummings is a committee chairman, and inherent contempt is something that literally goes back to the founding generation, was reaffirmed in the 1930s, but nobody has talked about in my lifetime. I, I have no recollection of any conversation of this. I mean, maybe it's happened and I'm just unaware of it, but pulling some of this old dusty stuff out and going after the Republicans with it, the Democrats, in my opinion, need to start playing hardball. They really do. What's the first thing you do when you get into a new car? You adjust the seat, right? Most cars only allow you to move the seat front or back, but if it's a luxury car, you can adjust your lower back or lumbar support. Well, most of us spend more time in our office chairs than we do in our cars. And how many adjustments can you make to your office chair? If it's any fewer than 10 customized ergonomic adjustments, then you do not have an X chair. I can adjust my X chair to fit my body perfectly, and thanks to the X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, or DVL, my back gets the perfect level of support. DVL is the key key to ideal posture, comfort, and productivity, and only the X-Chair has it. My X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com. Or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairtom.com, use the code XWheels, and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels to go with your chair. That's xchairtom.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're reading today from the Mueller Report. This is from uh, Section 1, page 14. And they're talking about the Internet Research Agency, which they refer to as the IRA. By the end of the 2016 election, the IRA had the ability to reach millions of U.S. persons through their social media accounts. Multiple IRA-controlled Facebook groups and Instagram accounts had hundreds of thousands of U.S. participants. IRA-controlled Twitter accounts separately had tens of thousands of followers, including multiple U.S. figures who retweeted IRA-created content. In November 2017, a Facebook representative testified that Facebook had identified 470 IRA-controlled Facebook accounts that collectively made 80,000 posts between January 2015 and August 2017. Facebook estimated the IRA reached as many as 126 million persons through its Facebook accounts. In January 2018, Twitter announced that it had identified 3,814 IRA-controlled Twitter accounts and notified approximately 1.4 million people Twitter believed may have been in contact 
with an IRA-controlled account. Part B, structure of the Internet Research Agency. This is the group out of St. Petersburg, Russia. Redacted. The organization grew quickly. Redacted. The growth of the organization also led to a more detailed organizational structure. Redacted. Okay, so then we go to page 16. Two individuals headed the IRA's management. It's General Director Mikhail Bistrov and its Executive Director Mikhail Burchik. Redacted. As early as the spring of 2014, the IRA began to hide its funding and activities. Redacted. The IRA's U.S. operations are part of a larger set of interlocking operations known as Project Lachta. Redacted. B. Funding and oversight from Concord and Prigozhin. Prigozhin, of course, is the Russian oligarch who owns the Internet Research Agency, the IRA. Until at least February 18th, Yevgeny Viktorovich Prigozhin and two Concord companies funded the IRA. Prigozhin is a wealthy Russian businessman who ser served as the head of Concord. Prigozhin was sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department on December 2016, redacted. Numerous media sources have reported on Prigozhin's ties to Putin, and the two have appeared together in public photos. Redacted, redacted, redacted. That's all of page 17, one, one sentence that's not redacted. Page 18, redacted, 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 redacted. That's all of page 18. Page 19, IRA employees were aware that Prigozhin was involved in the IRA's U.S. operations. Redacted. In May 2016, IRA employees claiming to be U.S. social activists and administrators of Facebook groups recruited U.S. persons to hold signs, including one in front of the White House that read, Happy 55th birthday, dear boss, as an homage to Brigosian, whose 55th birthday was June 1st, 2016. Redacted, redacted. C, the IRA targets U.S. elections. The IRA's U.S. operations sought to influence public opinion through online media and forums. By the spring of 2014, the IRA began to consolidate U.S. operations within a single general department, generally known as the Translator Department. Redacted. IRA subdivided the Translator Department into different responsibilities, ranging from operations on different social media platforms to analytics to graphics and IT. And then all the rest of page 20 is entirely redacted. In the entire first half of page 21 is redacted, then it continues. IRA employees also traveled to the United States on intelligence gathering missions. In June 2014, four IRA employees applied to the U.S. Department of State to enter the United States while lying about the purpose of their trip and claiming to be four friends who had met at a party. Ultimately, two IRA employees, Anna Bogasheva and Alexandra Kurilova received visas and entered the United States on June 4, 2014. Prior to traveling, Krilova and Bogosheva compiled itineraries and instructions for the trip. And then the rest of the page of 21 is redacted. Page 23 opens with redacted, and then it goes to item number two, U.S. operations through IRA-controlled social media accounts. Dozens of IRA employees were responsible for operating accounts and personas on different U.S. social media platforms. The IRA referred to employees assigned to operate the social media accounts as, quote, specialists. Starting as early as 2014, the IRA's U.S. operations included social media specialists focused on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. The IRA later added specialists who operated on Tumblr and Instagram accounts. Initially, the IRA created social media accounts that pretended to be the personal accounts of U.S. persons. By early 2015, the IRA began to create larger social media groups or public social media pages that claimed, falsely, to be affiliated with U.S. political and grassroots organizations. In certain cases, the IRA created accounts that mimicked real U.S. organizations. For example, one IRA-controlled Twitter account, 10GOP, purported to be connected to the Tennessee Republican Party. It's the Mueller Report. And welcome back. We're talking about, well, we've got all kinds of stuff on the table today. Neil in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Hey, Neil, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about, uh, and thanks for taking my call. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this impeachment. Sure. Um, I think 
Elizabeth Warren is correct. I think he should be impeached now, even if there's not much of a chance in the Senate. They ought to go ahead and try, and they also ought to impeach Barr. And one of the major reasons that I think that he should do this is because he's messing with some economic handles right now with regard to our nation that I think are very dangerous, including the Fed, including trying to set some tariffs that I think are going to be very dangerous to our economy. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I, you know, I'm ambivalent about the tariffs. Uh, you know, we had tariffs in this country from 1791 until largely until the late 1990s. And I would argue that they helped our economy, that they strengthened our economy. But that's a whole completely separate argument. I agree with you that the way he's pushing the Fed to keep interest rates down, to not stop quantitative easing, and this massive borrow and give to the billionaires tax break, I, I think exactly. that all, yeah, I think all these things are extremely destructive. I'm with you, Neil. Thank you. Troy in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Troy, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good. A quick scenario, I want you to give me your opinion. So right now, Trump's taxes are not, is like not, it's not a national treasure. They're in a building somewhere. Yeah. And this is the difference between the Democrats and Republicans. If it was the Republicans, they would take a group of people down to the office where the taxes are located, ask who's in charge, and say, I want, say, President Obama's taxes right now. If they said no, they would say, arrest him. And if they didn't, they would say, okay, who's next in charge? Now I want the taxes and keep arresting people until they did it. Yeah. But we go and we, we, we ask for the taxes, and when they say no, well, I guess we're going to have to take them to court to get it. Meanwhile, we would arrest them and let them sue us for arresting them. So the problem I have is the fight that we have as far as our party is getting so uh, spineless that I'm willing to really now vote out anybody who's not willing to fight for democracy because that's kind of what's at stake. I get what you're saying, Trey, and I agree with the sentiment of what you're saying, but the reality is that if you want to win in court, or even if you want to win in the court of public opinion, you have to be able to honestly say, we tried everything. We tried everything, and these people wouldn't put up with even the most reasonable stuff, even the most cautious stuff. They wouldn't put up with it. And that's what Jerry Nadler is doing right now, and I think he's doing it the right way. Every bone in my body wants it to happen faster, but politically speaking, and Troy, thank you for the call, politically speaking, it may even be a good thing if there's a month or three or four delay here so that this stuff really hits the fan as we're going into the election season. You know, you may have some political advantage, but I, I honestly don't think that Nadler and these guys are playing this for politics. I think that they're just trying to step by step by step walking through it. And let's hope that they succeed. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So please get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.